Hello and welcome to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 58. My name is Ismael Sanjuan. Thank you so much for being here. Aaron Rodgers is going to have a last dance with the Packers. Savion Howard requests a trade. The NBA is having new rules for drawing fouls. Also, Djokovic is going for two gold medals, joining the mixed doubles competition. Naomi Osaka is eliminated from the Olympics, and Simone Biles with Josh from the Olympics. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are going to have a last dance. He is back in training camp. He is going to play this year for the Packers. He also just had a press conferences where he let out his grievances. He explained his frustrations. There's a whole lot of stuff in there. So if you haven't seen that, make sure to go to YouTube, go somewhere, go Twitter, go find that video of him talking about the Packers organization. He name dropped a lot of players that he felt the organization let them go too early, didn't give them respect that they deserved for giving years and years and years of service to the Packers. And I agree with him. There's a lot of players that could have potentially re-signed, been kept by the Packers, and they weren't. They were kind of just, you know, thrown to the side. He mentioned Kuhn. He mentioned Julius Pepper, Charles Woodson, um, Jordy Nelson. There's a lot of players that he name-dropped. Like I said, this is very entertaining stuff. He didn't hold back. He basically said, I love the players. I love the fans. But, you know, the organization has a lot of downfalls, and I'm kind of sick and tired of it. A reporter pushed back, kind of questioned it, like, hey, some of these players weren't the best once they left the Packers. And he basically said, yeah, maybe they weren't that good once they left the Packers, but they meant more for the Packers than they would have meant for the other teams. You can't quantify the chemistry that we had built here. All of those players were key components to this chemistry. All of those players had, you know, helped build this thing so they definitely had more importance to the Packers than for other teams and they could have played disappointed for the next team because they wanted to retire as Packer players so I kind of I agree I definitely agree with Aaron Rodgers that a lot of those players they would have played better for the Packers than they ended up playing for other teams Aaron Rodgers also said that the reason players go play to the Packers is not it's not because of the Packers. It's not because they love, you know, being a cheesehead. They come to play there for him. Uh, no one goes to vacation in Wisconsin. He said something along those lines. They come here for me. And I agree with that, too. Aaron Rodgers, he's the current MVP, the reigning MVP. He is great. So I agree. One of the main attractions of playing in Green Bay since he took over in uh, 2006, 2007, whenever he took over, is to play with Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL. And we all know that quarterbacks run this league. And if you don't have a good quarterback, you don't have a chance of winning a championship. And if you have a great one, then you're pretty much in contention year in and year out. So Aaron Rodgers, maybe he was being brutally honest. So a lot of people don't like that. But I completely agree with him. Uh, he let the organization know how he felt. He let the fans know where he was coming from. He let everyone know why he wasn't there. Um, why he had to, you know, stay away from the team. He said he learned a lot about himself. He grew this offseason. So I'm happy for Aaron Rodgers. Um, if he gets to another level mentally, that's scary for the league because he's already, like, you know, one of the best throwers. He's one of the best players in the NFL. So if he gets to another level mentally, it's scary for the league. But all of this has me thinking about the Packers and their potential for next year. Like, do they have... Can they go and win the Super Bowl this year? They definitely have the potential. They have some of the personnel. 
um, some disgruntled personnel, but they have, you know, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers leading the way. Devontae Adams has also spoken about his uh, grievances with the organization and how he should be the highest paid player, highest paid wide receiver, which I agree he's earned that. But the thing that keeps coming back to my mind when I think of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is um, I think of the of the Milwaukee Bucks and I think of the 96 Bulls. Namely, because they're calling this the last dance. Um, Devontae Adam and Aaron Rodgers both posted the same picture from the last dance documentary before Aaron Rodgers came and, you know, basically said, this is going to be my last year. And we'll see at the end of this season if I want to stay. Is which one is the parallel? Because when the Bucks, when when the Giannis resigned with the Bucks, they basically said, um, they thanked them for resigning with them, and they said that there was no way this team was gonna win if he would have played out that last year of his contract. Like the pressure of Giannis leaving would have been so great that there was no way they could have won the championship. Like when the playoffs came. And you knew that, okay, once the season's over, if we get eliminated, this franchise is is not just losing this playoff this year. Like, you're thinking the future. Like, we got to win because we never know if we're ever going to be back in these playoffs. Like, if you're a role player, if you're, like, even the second fiddle like Middleton, you're like, damn. If we lose right now, we're we're not just going to lose this series. We're going to lose Giannis, too. And that amount of pressure in of itself is just, on top of already the playoff pressure, the pressure that you feel being an elimination game is just too much. It's too much to carry. It wouldn't have let you go on out and, you know, play freely, play clear of mind, you know, just focus on the game. That would have been in the back of your head. You would have been thinking, damn, like this is it. This is the Bucks as we know them. Because um, I'm using that example. This is the Bucks as we know them. Like the Bucks that we've known these last three, four years being, you know, perennial playoff um being a perennial playoff team, competing for a championship, being one of the higher seeds for in the East. That's all going to be gone if we lose this game right now. If we get eliminated from the playoffs, that's gone. Like, we're done. Giannis is going to move on. We're going to have to rebuild, and it's going to be a whole different team, a whole different philosophy, a whole different mindset, different goals. The goals with Giannis would have been winning championships once he's gone. You know, it might be just making the playoffs or, you know, having a decent season, getting an all-star in our team selling tickets whatever so that pressure of him playing with one year remaining and the possibility of him leaving was going to prevent the bucks from winning a championship because that pressure would have been too much and i wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment i think they're right like if you think the franchise guy is going to leave after after the end of this season if you guys don't perform well that just adds so much more pressure that's a lot um it kind of reminds me of children when they're the when they're the ones keeping their parents together like they're the only reason they're together that's so much pressure on the kid like no one wants that pressure um so a lot of times it's better if the parents split up because it kind of relieves some of that pressure that the kid feels i don't know that's a simple analogy that i could think of but that's some of the pressure that the that the <clears throat> that the packers are going to have this year just thinking in the back of their mind like damn like how could we ma- how could we make Aaron Rodgers stay? Like every player is gonna feel that way. Like this is it. Like if they're ever in a hole during the season, like damn, we're down two. Our record's two and four. <clears throat> this is it. Aaron Rodgers is gonna leave. You know, um, I'm a vet. I don't know how many more years I'm gonna be able to win. It's just 
so so much stuff on the head. If if that season ever has a hiccup, once they're in the playoffs, if they're ever down against the Buccaneers or whatever team makes it in the e- in the East, I mean in the NFC, that's just a lot of pressure. So I don't think it's gonna work out. But then there's the other coin. There's the other coin flip with the '96 Bulls. They all knew it was the last dance, and it motivated them. It, it you know everyone knew that this is the last year we have together. So let's put it all out there. Let's go get. Let's go win a championship. Let's show them that they were wrong and we were right. They should have kept this team together. There's no reason to break it up because we have a championship team right here. And let's go out there and let's prove it to them. And it'll be like the biggest, you know, middle finger to them. Just letting them know that you were wrong. This team is still capable of winning. So they could, the Packers could, you know, all unite, all feel that energy. Just be like, you know what? It sucks that the organization didn't treat you right. It sucks that you feel this way, that you don't feel appreciated, that you don't feel respected, that you don't feel like you have an input in this organization. But let's put that all aside and let's, you know, we appreciate you. We as the locker room appreciate you. And we're going to all, you know, rally behind you and make this a memorable year and, you know, send you off with the championship and at the very least, you know, be competitive, be in there until the end. And if if you still decide to leave at the end of the season, then, you know, uh, go be it. You got to do your thing. You got to look out for yourself. Um, But if we win a championship and you want to stay, then, damn, even better. So those are two real possibilities. You know, the whole team backs them up, says, you know what, this is the last year with you. We appreciate you. I'm playing with one of the all-time greats. So let's do it. Let's leave it all on the field. Let's go win this chip. We've been to -to back-to-back NFC championships. But the other coin flip is like the bug situation we're like damn we're down 14 in the wild card game or we're down 14 in the divisional round we need to you know get that energy up we need to we need to talk to each other at halftime and get and get um get back into this game you know focus you know everyone you know cover your gap every run your best routes you know uh put your head down and get that extra yard if you're the running back you got to just focus and in the back of your mind you're like damn this is it Aaron Rodgers after this game he's he's gone. He's he's getting traded, he's getting he's getting moved. Like this is it. This is the last time I'm ever going to play with this great. Uh, I'm 32, I'm 28, whatever you, whatever the player is like damn. I got to start thinking about my future. Do I want to stay with the Packers? Do I want to ask for a trade too? Do I want to go? Like you just that's the other possibility and I think that's the most likely one because there's a lot of Unlike the NBA, where there's only five teams, rosters are like 12, 12, 13 players. The NFL is like 55, 55 plus. Um, so I think there's just too many personalities, too many egos, too many heads to go around for this to work, for everyone to just be united and, you know, just persevere through this season with, with that in the back of their head. That Damn, Aaron Rodgers is gone after this. This is it. I was in a championship with, uh, I was in a roster that had championship potential like all these all these years and now he's gone and you know we're probably going to be bottom of the barrel team or midway of the pack team so personally I think this is too much of a distraction um, or too much pressure for the team to you know convince Aaron Rodgers to stay or to just send him off with the championship and I think at the end it's just going to be too much Saving Howard requests a trade. Um, he's not happy with the Dolphins. I think he he posted an Instagram post yesterday saying he doesn't feel valued and respected. He wants out. 
Oh, where should he go? Savian Howard. He led the league with 10 interceptions last year. He was an all-pro, first-team all-pro. Uh, great cornerback, has excellent ball skills, can guard uh, the opponent's number one. He's a great cornerback. He has a lot of um, years to go to. He's 28 years old, so he's he's not on the wrong side of 30. He looks like he has three, four, maybe even five years of good elite um, production. So where should he go? There's a lot of rumors out there. You know, the Arizona Cardinals should get him, the Falcons, the Saints, the Cowboys. Should the Bucks get him too? You know, just completely fill that roster full of stars, run it back. But in my opinion, I think he should go to the Seahawks. The Seahawks traded for uh, their safety, Adams, and he, he did pretty good. Jamal Adams. He's, but he's more of a blitzer. He likes to play that linebacker role, um, coming to the line, tackling behind the line. Um, he gets sacks as a safety like no one has ever done it. But they lost Shaquille Griffin in free agency. They really haven't had that Legion of Boom type of defense since, you know, Sherman and and all those greats left, Chancellor, Thomas, since all those greats left. They've never really had a. They've never really had a team, a defense that scares uh, offenses like that. So if they're able to, you know, one year trade for Jamal Adams, and the next year get Savian Howard, I think that really elevates that defense to back up that offense that has been electric these last few years. Um, really compliment Russell Wilson and you know DK Metcalf on the other side, and just go back to their roots. Have an efficient offense, a shutdown defense. And go get it, especially because their division is hard. Matthew Stafford, he's he's never won a playoff game, but um, with Sean McVay, I think he has a great chance of making some noise in the playoffs with the Rams. Um, Kyle Murray is going into year three, although I don't really trust or believe in his coach that, mu- that much, Cliff Kingsbury. I do believe in Kyle Murray, and I think he's a generational talent that could you know, put a team on his backpack and just make stuff happen. So, and... The 49ers, for that sake, they should be nice, too. Uh, we'll see how Trey Lance does. We'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo could stay healthy. But you can never count count out Kyle Shanahan. Um, he's a great coach, too. Young quarterback. One of the best offensive minds in the NFL. So the Seattle Seahawks, I think they still need to make some moves. Um, this roster is not good enough, in my opinion, to win the division or compete for the, for the Super Bowl. Maybe they can win the division, but I don't think this is one of those rosters that you think damn super bowl or bust or they're gonna go super super far and if you do think that way it's probably because you think russell wilson is amazing and i think he's amazing too but uh he needs some help is what i'm trying to say russell wilson is amazing he could definitely you know just carry the seahawks as far as he can go but i think he needs some help and i think the seattle seahawks should be the first team on that line calling the dolphins and saying hey how much how much does it will it take to get Savian howard but what do you guys think where should he go um you know the new orleans saints that's one of the teams that's been circling around too um i don't think he'll go there just because you know we don't know how their qb situation is going to look um there's also they're also talking about uh maybe the bucks i don't know if they have um, they're going to, you know, shake up their roster like that. They already have a championship team. They're running it back. I think all of their starters, first time ever, all of the starters for the 
for a championship for a Super Bowl winning team is back. So I don't know if they want to mess with the chemistry. The Arizona Cardinals, we're talking about the NFC West, then that might make some sense. Patrick Peterson is gone. And he was their shutdown corner for many, many years. So we'll see if they make some moves. But I think the Seahawks makes the most sense. I would like to see him go to the Seahawks. I think he he will compete for the championship. He could be that step, that player that takes them to the next, you know, level that, you know, puts them over the hump. But how do you guys rate Savion Howard? Do you think he could make he could push a team to, you know, greater heights or is he just, you know, a solid cornerback that had a great year, 10 interceptions? Um cuz I rate him pretty highly. Uh I saw that game against the Chiefs. He he was locking players up that interception that he had against him. There's a lot of good games that he had last season. And I think he's a quality player at 28 years old. Um, the Dolphins love getting picks. They love, you know, having future assets. So we'll see how much it takes to get him. Maybe like a first, we'll be able to get him. Maybe a second and a third, second and a fourth, second and a player. We'll see how much it takes. Probably a first, in my opinion. We'll, we'll be able to get the deal, a first and a player maybe. But... What do you guys think? I personally think I would I would want to see him with the Seahawks, but I know there would there would be a lot of teams that'll take him. All pro coming off his best season on the right side of 30. Um, but he is looking for a contract, so you gotta keep that into consideration. He wants to get paid like one of the elite cornerbacks. He, his he's in I think one of the last years of his contract. So if you do get him, you gotta, you know, throw some money at him. You gotta make him happy. You gotta, you know, make him feel wanted. Make him feel like he, you know, deserves a lot of money. And apparently there's a report saying that two playoff teams have already inquired about the possibility of trading for Dolphins cornerback Saving Howard. So this he just requested the trade um, yesterday. I would not be surprised if, surprised if he's already traded by the end of next week. This is going to move fast. Savion Howard, he's a great cornerback. So what do you guys think? What's the most likely destination for Savion Howard? The NBA is implementing new rules, um, Shams reported. Beginning with the 2021-2022 season, the NBA will be implementing new rules to reduce non-basketball moves used to draw fouls, sources tell the Athletic and Stadium. So Shams is reporting that the NBA is going to, you know, change some rules to help, you know, defenses to, to make the NBA a little bit more fun to watch. Because, you know, there's... We've all been there when there's players, you know, that get past their initial defender and they stop to get a foul. They completely run into someone to to get a foul. And you're kind of like, what? How is that the foul on the defender? This man is literally, like, veering off his path and jumping into someone else. And that's the foul on him? Like, that does not make sense. So I hope they implement this the right way. Um, kind of like in FIBA, when uh, they don't call all these ticky-tacky fouls, they let the players play. I think I really like this. Um, so Shams also said, NBA officiating staffs will be trained to identify and properly rule overt non-basketball actions to initiate contact with the defender, such as offensive player launching into defender. So I think that's the one I'm talking about where, you know, you're running, you're running, and you kind of just sidestep into someone and draw a foul. I think that's what they're calling abruptly veers off path so that's another one that's the same one that i'm talking so jumping into someone when you're doing a jump shot or i think the, the first one was like if you pump fake and then someone flies by past you 
and then you kind of jump into them and take your shot. I think that's the one they're talking about. Abruptly veers off path. That's the driving one. I saw Chris Paul do that in the NBA Finals, kind of cut off Chris Paul. I mean, uh, onto Zucumpo. That was when I saw that. I was like, damn, he could injure someone doing that. So I'm glad they're addressing that. Kicks leg at abnormal angle. That one we see that a lot with uh, jump shooters and point guards. Um, but it's it's progressed. Uh, to bigger players too we see everyone do that nowadays um leg at a normal angle so you know you're taking a shot someone's running in front of you and you you just extend your leg you fall kind of weird just so you could get some contact on your foot or his off arm hooks defender so that's the james harden one that's the james harden one for sure where you're running you're attacking the rim and you hook you can't you back you dribble with one hand and you hook with the other and you join your hook arm with the ball and as you're going up you're dragging that man's hands with you creating the illusion of contact and then you you shoot your ball you let go of the ball easy cal easy foul call so the, these are the main points that they're going to take a look at so one more time offensive player launches into defender uh, abruptly veers off path kicks leg at a normal angle and his or or his off arm hooks defender so I'm very glad that they're doing this. This is great. I'm starting next season, so it's going to be a ASAP. I'm glad all these NBA refs are, you know, taking these classes seriously. Um, they're paying attention, and they actually implement these rules um, because there has been times where I'm like, damn, this is annoying. Like, this is this is not fun. This is, uh, this is annoying. This is kind of bad for the sport. Like, ain't nobody trying to watch this. Ain't nobody trying to watch these players just – flop uh, free throws they're part of the game but they're one of the least exciting parts of the game you rather see you know action live action than free throws um that was one of the things why they wanted to get rid of uh the hack -a shack because you know no one wants to watch a game and just see players throwing free throws or doing free throws so i think this is great i'm glad they're you know putting their hammer down and making some rule changes but I'm just I'm just hoping that they implement this the right way because as we've seen before, um they've done the anti-flopping rules in 2020-12, and they even have an article on their NBA website that says explanation of anti-flopping rules. And you know, this was great and all. This was a good idea when it came out. I remember everybody was like, Yeah, this is great. We don't want to see flopping in the NBA, it's getting ridiculous. And they kind of enforced it like in the preseason and like the beginning of that first season. And as we got further and further away from the implementation of this rule, from them adding this rule, they kind of stopped enforcing it more, less and less and less. And now we watch games and I feel like I still see everyone flopping. You hear Steph Van Gundy in the TNT commentary talking to um, Jackson and Mike Breen. And he's just like, how is that? A, how is that not? uh how is that a foul like he, he, with the mic with the van gundy voice like he should be fine for that and the nba is not gonna do anything and we've all we've all seen it i'm pretty sure we've all seen you know steph van gundy going crazy on commentary saying that said players should get fined for flopping that's flopping there should be there should be a fine for that and no one ever gets flopped um the official rule says that you know you get a warning with the violation number one and the second one, $5,000 fine. The third one, $10,000. The fourth one, $15,000. And the fifth one, you get a $30,000 fine. 
and then for the sixth one, uh, the player will be subject to such uh, discipline as the league determines and reasonable under the circumstances, including an increased fine or suspension. So, you know, these are the rules they put in in 2012 or 2011 to stop flopping, and they kind of, you know, enforced it for a little bit, and then they kind of took their foot off the pedal. They're, they're, they took a, you know, they didn't want to be mean. They didn't want to be, you know, the teacher telling you what to do. And they were kind of like, eh, the rule's there. Hopefully they know about it and hopefully they don't flop. But if they do flop, then, you know, we tried. But we're not really going to enforce it. So for this rule about drawing fouls, you know, I think there is some, it's not just about drawing fouls. There's some safety issues there too. You don't want a point guard running into a, you know, center or power forward's leg, the kicking of the leg could injure someone. I've seen players kick people in the face when they're trying to draw fouls. So it's it's getting out of hand. I'm glad they're implementing those rule, this rules. The only thing I would say is I just hope they really enforce it, like especially at the beginning, like just really hammer down on it so that players get like, okay, they're really, they're serious about this one. Like this is not like the flopping rule where, I can still flop and I'm not going to get fined. Like, this is for real. Like, they're really calling fouls or whatever. They're really, like, you know, giving me a warning. They're really calling it out as soon as they see it. Like, nah, that's not no foul. That's a foul on you for kicking your leg out. So we'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they get it right and they actually follow through with it. But let me let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think this is a good thing? Do you guys think this is a bad thing? And if and if they're going to do it anyway, so you think they're actually going to enforce it? Or is this just going to be kind of like the flopping rule where they put the rule in, they enforce it for a little bit, and then they kind of just forget about it and they don't keep um, they don't keep enforcing the rule. But because personally, I think they're going to enforce it for a little bit and then they're going to forget about it and then we're still going to see players do that. But let me know what you guys think. Djokovic signs up for mixed doubles. In the Olympics, he's going to represent Serbia in the Mixed Olympics. He has a chance now for two gold medals, um, either or. If he gets one or the other, it doesn't matter. Djokovic just wants to get a medal. Um, when asked about why he joined Mixed Doubles, he basically said that is because he wants to get a gold medal. And being in two competitions gives him a greater chance than just being in one competition. Although I don't think he necessarily needed to do this. I think Djokovic... It's going to win the gold medal in the men's single. I think everyone thinks that. Or or for the most part, everyone just has seen Djokovic be great this whole year. Just dominate, you know, Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon. It's in a great form. That serve is looking spicy. He's in great, magnificent form right now. You'd be a fool to bet against Djokovic winning gold for the men's single. But I think he's just trying to cover all base off um you know, all bases. He does. He knows that with that heat being 80 plus, 90 plus, that humidity being 70% higher, you never know. You could get caught on a bad day where the heat just hits you hard, where the other player is just in form, and you get knocked out. And, you know, you, you could have the greatest year ever by any tennis player, like he started this season. And you can still get upset in the best of three when you, you just come out and you're not having the best stuff ever. So I think now being in two competitions, Djokovic is, you know, really covering all bases and increasing his chances of getting gold. 
uh, the mixed doubles um, field is not that big. It was 16 teams. Uh, he won once yesterday against Brazil. Serbia defeats Brazil in two straight sets. And now today he has quarterfinals for men's singles and he has quarterfinals for mixed doubles. So I just hope that he's not putting too much stuff on his plate. He's not, you know, biting too much because before the Olympics, there was even some concerns. There was some speculation that he might not participate because he needed rest. It's been a long season, COVID year, um, and he wanted to, you know, prepare for the U.S. Open, which starts in the end of August. So I just hope that he's not putting too much because although being in two competitions does increase your chances of getting a medal just by a numbers game, like you're in two competitions now, it also could decrease the comp the chance that you win the men's single, which I think is the most important for him. Mixed doubles would be great, but I think he really wants to get the men's singles. And hopefully he doesn't tire out because, you know, playing, thankfully for him, he's beating these guys in straight sets and no one has really even broken him. So it's pretty, it's been pretty quick games. And he's one of the most uh, fit guys on tour. He's always focused on, you know, stability and mobility and just being in the best shape he could possibly be so i by no means think Djokovic can't handle this i'm just worried about the heat i'm worried about the humidity i'm worried about the toll that all that sun all that heat could take on you but i think if anyone could do it is Djokovic and i'm also thinking about wow if he's going to be the first male to ever record a golden grand slam and he does it getting two gold medals that just Oh, my God, that pushes his legacy even higher than it already is. And I think that's a real possibility. We'll see how the Serbians do against Germany uh, in mixed doubles quarterfinal today. But I think he, the way he's serving, the way he's playing, he could just carry that mixed doubles into a championship, into the gold medal. And I honestly would take Djokovic against the field in the men's single. He's just that good. So what do you guys think? Was this was this a good, smart decision? Was this a bad decision? Is he going to tire himself out? Is this going to work against him? Is, does this give the other players bigger chance? The, one of the reasons I don't worry too much for him either is because the other competitions in the tournaments are doing doubles too. Severev is doing it. Tsitsipas was doing it. Um, Tsitsipas lost yesterday, but he he's in mixed doubles. So a lot of these players are doing more than just one competition. That's why I don't think... Djokovic doing it is such a bad idea and if anything it's a good idea I think he has a real chance of getting two gold medals and I will be rooting for that I would be rooting for Djokovic getting two gold medals and just having an amazing Olympics having an, an adding another thing to this amazing year that he's having and then imagine the swagger the confidence that he's gonna walk into for the U.S. Open if he's coming with two gold medals hanging from his uh, neck but what do you guys think is this a good move for Djokovic should he have just focused on the men's single uh, we all know how much it's meant to him through the years crying when he lost to Del Potro in Rio crying when he lost um, in 2008 or 2012 in, Brit in Great Britain so we'll see we'll see how he does I think it's a good idea I think he could potentially walk out with two gold medals and in other news, Osaka is out of the Olympics. The hometown hero, um, the flag bearer for Japan. There was a lot of pressure on her going into the Olympics. 
she had not played in over 50 plus days um, after pulling out of the French Open, after citing mental illness, after saying, you know, all the stuff that she said, saying well, like that she felt a lot of pressure or she felt uncomfortable doing press conferences and the French Open not, you know, giving her different options for her to feel better too little too late we all know what happened we all applauded for her that a lot of strength for her to walk away to play on her own terms so naturally once that happened we were all like damn is she gonna play wimbledon is she gonna play in the olympics is she gonna play in the u.s open like how long like are we are we you know gonna be waiting here how long is this gonna take for her to feel better and you know with mental health it's tricky because it could come it could go you never know when it's going to hit you. You never know when you're going to feel shitty, when you're going to feel defeated, when you're going to feel down, when you're not going to feel like yourself. You never really know with mental health. It's very, it's very, very tricky. So to no one's surprise, she pulled out of Wimbledon. She said, I'm not going to compete with Wimbledon. And to everyone's, you know, excitement, she confirmed that she was going to play in the Olympics and represent Tokyo. And as soon as that came out, I wondered if she did that because, you know, she was feeling better, like the timetable kind of made sense for her to come back at that time. Or if she was doing that because she felt the pressure of representing Japan in the Olympics when it was being held in Tokyo. So there's a lot of pressure for her to show up for her country. And she did. She had a good opening first two rounds. She had some hiccups like a little bit at the beginning, but overall she looked really, really good. But in the press conferences after her afterwards, after the first one, she said she was nervous. She was overly nervous. She didn't know why. And, you know, uh, commentators, pundits were all talking about, no, oh, it's natural. You know, she hasn't played in over 50 days. Um, she's rusty. She, she, she had the whole, you know, French Open fiasco, the whole thing, whatever you want to call it. So it's natural. You know, she's probably jitters, the Olympics, the bright lights in her own home country. Thankfully for her, she got out of the first round. Um, they were saying that was probably the most difficult game because that had the highest chance of getting upset. Then she goes to round two and she, you know, looks good again, but she does have some moments where you're like, okay, is this the Naomi that we are accustomed to? And and afterwards she has similar press conferences, similar press conference where she states, like, damn, I'm feeling nervous. I'm still feeling a little, you know, like wacky out there i'm not not feeling so comfortable i do feel you know a little of nervous and that's when the commentators were like okay like she said she said that kind of two times now like she's definitely she's definitely working herself into this tournament she's definitely um trying to gather herself but we all kind of assumed that it was natural 50 plus days without playing hometown country all the pressure of a country and then i think it all came down to game and game three it, all that pressure all that nervousness that she was feeling throughout it, it was it just all exploded that day because although she had had some minor hiccups or some moments in the first two rounds where you were like okay like what's going on here is this naomi or like why why is she doing this unforced error why did she not hit the best forehand um why is her serve not the best there were just little moments they were not like for a prolonged period and in round three i think it all just came crashing down she had 32 unforced errors she only had one ace the whole game 
Um, nothing. I don't want to take anything away from her opponent. Uh, congratulations to her. Uh, she deserved to go through. Good job for her. Hopefully she does well. Uh, but it, when when the commentators, I, I keep saying commentators, but you know when the commentators were talking about, hey, uh, did Osaka lose this game or did uh, or did Ronda Sovo win this game? And they were they were all pretty adamant and pretty confident, saying that there's no way that Ronda Sovo won this game. Osaka lost this game with all her mistakes, with her terrible serving. And I agree. Like, if you were to watch that game, Osaka definitely had a terrible game. And it was not because Vondrasova was putting so much pressure or, like, you know, unstabling her or just, you know, hitting amazing forehands, hitting amazing serves where it just rattles your opponent and you're like, wow, like, I cannot beat this player. Like, she's just on one of those days where I just can't beat this player. I think it was more that, you know, it had been fuming. Osaka had been thinking about it. She had been feeling the pressure. We, uh, she might have not been competing with the best mental state. She might have just came into the Olympics because it was in her native country. So I think we kind of could have seen this coming, but it was very, it was a very sad moment. I wanted Naomi to do great. I'm cheering for that girl. I'm cheering for that woman. Uh, she's a great, great, great spokesperson for the game of tennis. She's a great spokesperson for you know mental health. We're moving into, hopefully we're moving into, you know, a time where mental health is taken seriously or more seriously. It's, ta it's, it's taken just as important as a physical injury where, where we don't, you know, criticize or bring shame to players that can't compete or decide not to because they're just not in the right mental mental space. And Naomi Hosaka brought light to that and for that I applaud her. And I'm pretty sure if I was to say, I guess, she she still wasn't, like, the best when she came for the Olympics. She was just, you know, trying to gut it through for her country. And it caught up to her. The pressure, the pressure was also, like, insane. Like, the way she was being marketed as, like, the face of Japan. And, you know, she, she was a flag bearer for her country and the ceremony. And everyone knows her name. And the spotlight was already going to be shining bright on her because she's like a international star and she's the face of female tennis at this point it was even brighter on her because it was like her return it was the return of naomi osaka it was her coming back to the sport it was, there's so many storylines going into it like naomi osaka the biggest japan star playing in her home country naomi osaka coming back to tennis the world number two player returning like how is she gonna play there is the, the the lights were definitely on her like they've never been and that's just a lot to put on someone and for her sake i hope maybe she felt some relief exiting the olympics now she's off everyone's attention she could calm regroup herself um we'll see if she competes in the u.s open i don't know i haven't checked on it i would not be surprised if she pulls out of that and she just focuses on herself but i wish naomi osaka the best um uh, Whenever you want to come back or whenever you're right, I know you'll you'll come back and you'll be stronger than ever. And I think she represented her country well. She's a great person. Um, and I wish her the best. But sticking on that subject, Simone Biles pulls out of the team gymnastic. Um, there's a lot of people criticizing her. There's a lot of people calling her a quitter. Uh, and I think uh, they're wrong. Uh, 
Michael Phelps has even come out and talking about how he's felt the pressure of being an Olympian, the pressure of breaking records, the pressure of greatness. And Simone Biles, she competes in a crazy, crazy sport. Um, we could only we could only imagine or dream of doing some of the stuff that she has. She has over like four moves called her called named after her because she is so great. She's the only one that could do those moves. She's an amazing athlete that goes. I don't even have to say that. Everyone knows that. So for her to withdraw from the Olympics, withdraw from events, is just, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of wherewithal. It takes a lot of self-relaxation to say, you know what? I don't got it today. I'm not in the right mental space. I could potentially hurt myself or hurt my team if I go out there. And why would I do that when, you know, I could just, Take a deep breath, you know, gather myself and say, you know what? I am not in the right space to compete right now. I don't want to hurt myself. I want to take a step back and let you guys compete. You guys. And also, like, you know, there's a lot of tension that goes with someone that's not feeling well. You're always worried for them. You're always kind of concerned. So I think she also showed that people are saying that she lacked, like, respect. She didn't care about her team. I think that's the opposite. She she cared so much for her teammates when she exited the vault, she she straight up went to her teammate, told them, "You guys enjoy it. You guys are gonna be just fine. This is your guys' first time at the Olympics, so make sure you guys enjoy it. Do a great job." And that shows leadership. That shows the type of person that she is, and I applaud her for that. I wish her the best. I wish I wish her, you know, that she gets back to that bright energy that she has. Like even if you just watched the Olympics and you saw her um, getting ready to compete. She looked she looked uncomfortable. She looked nervous. She looked like she was kind of doing this. She was kind of doing like all these movements. She kind of had like a like her head felt kind of tight. It just didn't look like she was enjoying herself. And I've seen past competitions of Simone Biles where she's just she has a smile that could light up the whole arena. Um, her energy is unmatched. You could just kind of feel like an aura coming out of her. You're like, damn, this girl just has the the most energy out of anyone she looks she knows that she's a star she the way she walks is just with a lot of confidence she she just exuberates confidence and energy and passion and it's just an amazing thing to see that's part of the simone Biles spectacle like just the way she carries herself the bigger than life persona so when you see her getting ready for competitions you see her not landing her 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 moves she kind of stumbles a little bit she doesn't have the same energy her face is not you know the typical Simone Biles smile with great energy you know you start to sense that there was something wrong you start to sense that okay like like what's going on here why is she not the usual Simone Biles and sure enough we found out that she's struggling she's going through something she doesn't feel right and she needs to take some time. She needs to take some space, and you know, after after all she's gone through, you know, we've with her with the U.S. Um, Olympics, you know, scandal with the coach that got sentenced for, you know, abusing players and abusing young women. She was the she was in that. She was she she led the way. She voiced. Um, she said, you know, I was part of that too. I was one of the girls. I was one of the women that you know, got affected by this, that personally got affected by this. And 
she said she wasn't just competing for herself she was competing for others she was competing to you know keep the conversation going for so that that wouldn't just be put in the back burner and forgotten about she was competing for more than herself so with all of that for her to still just be able to say you know what like i can't do this i'm gonna take a step back she also said she got the twisties so that's very dangerous um i think that's when you uh the twisties i think they said that that's when you just kind of lose yourself when you're uh, the mind body disconnect that's what the twisties are can be dangerous even for someone as Simone Biles. Yeah. So they're basically saying um, you have to be there 100% or 120% because if you're not the slightest bit, you can get hurt. So, yeah, I saw that when she was doing the the vault. Um, one of the one of the people that's commentating for NBC past gymnastics said that Simone Biles kind of got lost in the air, which kind of means I think her body wasn't in the right movement. She kind of it, it wasn't all like one fluid movement. That's what I kind of understood from that. And gymnastics, that, that that's one dangerous sport. Like, we all know football is a dangerous sport. Rugby is a dangerous sport. Boxing, taekwondo, you know, you're getting hit. But gymnastics, if you guys see the way that body's turning, the, the way that your neck is moving, the, the possibility of landing on the ground with that much force, with that much inertia, and just not landing correctly, like, you could get paralyzed easily easily if you're not concentrated if you're thinking about something else and it did look like simone biles was not a hundred percent there like i said if you're if you if you've seen her before i'm not even talking about like if you're an avid gymnastic follower like if you've just seen her on twitter because everyone's seen simone biles she's a worldwide renowned star she's probably the she is not probably she's the greatest um gymnastic of all time so i'm sure all of you or most of you have seen her, whether Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You actually follow gymnastics like that, Olympics, world championships. You have definitely seen her. You know how she carries herself. You know the smile that she carries. You know the energy that just exuberates off her. You could tell that there's something off with her. So I applaud her, and I wish Simone Biles to get better. I wish her the best. She's 24 years old. So this might be the last Olympics, selfishly, for fans of her, for others. You know, we wanted to see her break records. We wanted her to get gold medals. We wanted her star to be even bigger. That was, you know, the selfish the selfish part of us. We all wanted that. But the human, the human part of us, you know, the fellow, the fellow American part of us, the fan of her, we're all just happy that she you know, it's taking this step away that she's focusing on her mental health and we all wish her the best. And I wish Simone Biles the best. I wish she gets better. Um, I applaud her for, you know, shedding more light on mental health. These, these women, man, this year, they've taken that step. They've taken that light and just shined it on mental health. And I'm, I can't applaud them for that. I think in the future, we're going to look back at 2021 and just say like, damn, that was a turning point. That's when we started uh, really acknowledging mental health in sports and not just diminishing it or shoving it to the side and making it insignificant. 2021 was the year, and we could thank Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka for really putting the light uh, in the Olympics and in a Grand Slam tournament like the French Open uh, with so much stuff on the line. Like Naomi, 
she could have, you know, got another Grand Slam, just cemented that start of her tennis career, just really just, you know, taking the reins, be the star of tennis, win another Grand Slam in clay. Simone Biles, she could have broken so many records, tied so many records, uh, just completely just be the greatest ever. If she's not already the greatest ever, but she could have just, like, there, there would have been no argument for anybody else. She could have tied a bunch of other records, not just in gym, gymnastics, but overall, she could have just dominated everything. And she was like, nope, I'm going to worry about myself first. None of these records. I'm going a, I'm to a compete on my own time, on my own health. And I think we could all applaud for that. That takes a lot of courage. So shout out to Simone Biles. Shout out to Naomi Osaka. Um, But yeah. That should complete this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. Um, the Olympics are winding down. I must follow the tennis for sure. Um, we'll see how soccer goes, basketball, men's basketball. Got a win against Iran the other day. They're back on track. We'll see how they do with their next opponent. And uh, Premier League soccer is almost back. NFL is almost back. NBA season draft is coming along. NBA free agency is coming along. Sports never end, man, so I'm going to be here to cover all of that. So if you like any of this content, please stick stick around, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the channel, the YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, um, all of that good stuff. Thank you for listening. My name is Ismael Juan. Hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm out.